listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Welcome to the first part of our series we're calling Abundance. You're going to want to take notes today. You received a little weekly when you walked in. Pull that out. Now is your time. I also want to say this, that the 8.30 service and the 10 o'clock service, I'm not saying that they're like Diet Coke, but if there is full flavor, it's showing up at the 11.30. You guys, I'm just, I'm just excited to see you. You're well caffeinated. You slept in, ate your Cheerios. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke's gospel. You know, my parents didn't teach me a lot about money. They really didn't. My parents, my grandparents, I can hear them. This is, the, this is really the breadth of their financial advice in my life. You don't know the value of a dollar. That was it. And I'm convinced they didn't know the value of a dollar. My family, we did, I didn't come from any means, really. Uh, my dad had several businesses, and none of them really did well. We suffered bankruptcies. Uh, my, both of my parents, they divorced. They, they suffered several divorces in their life. And if you know anything about that, that just divides cash, families, monies, everything just gets. And so uh, my mom, God bless her, uh, she couldn't hold on to a job. She was a great worker. She didn't have the temper for it. Either she'd get fired because she'd tell off somebody or she'd tell off the boss and quit or something like that. And so needless to say, we never really had much money when I was growing up. When I rededicated my life to Christ, really got my life right with Jesus, I was 17 years old. And you know what was very surprising for me? I still didn't know anything about money. I was broke as a joke. In fact, when I was first with Kaya, I had holes in my shoes and when it would rain, she'd wonder why I get all grumpy when it would rain. It's because, you know, my, my socks would get all wet. I had to dicker my socks. Are you old enough to know what that even is? I'd have to sew my socks together because I couldn't afford new socks. Had holes in my shoes. And I, I lived in poverty because I just didn't know anything. I didn't know better. I didn't know how to get out of it. What I found is this. If you don't know anything about money, you're not going to have very much of it. And if... You learn about money. That's the only way to actually have any money. If you don't know anything about it, you might get some for a moment, but it's going to be very short-lived. And let me tell you why. You're not going to know how to keep it. You're not going to know how to grow it if you have it. It's going to be like trying to grasp sand. It's going to go right through your hands because you're not dealing with the right tools. And this series, this message is going to give you the right tools in your toolbox. God's people don't do a very good job talking about money. In fact, even godly Christian parents don't do a good job talking to their kids about money. Some of you are shocked by that. Let me tell you, I have scripture on this. Let me read for you the words of Christ. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus says that the children of this world, in dealing with their fellow man, act with more business sense than those who have the light. Jesus is saying that those, those godless buggers out there, they're better at business than you. And he's not saying it like it's a good thing. He's saying it like we've got to correct this thing. But listen, they're dealing with just temporal matters, and they're doing a better job than us. We need to be the people of God that understand this. And there have been a lot of churches, a lot of pastors. They were too yellow to preach anything about it. They're afraid of their people. Y'all look at me. I love you. I've been afraid of you in a long time. 
<laughs> I really haven't. And, and this is something that through this series, we need to talk about money because so much of our life, it's, it's literally the currency that we're dealing in. You need to know how to do it in a godly way and be able to take ground. But what I found is because churches don't talk about it, families don't talk about it, typically Christians fall into two ditches. Jot this down. First ditch that they fall into is this compulsion. I've got to get money. I got to go out there and get it. I got to seize it. They're desperate for it. First Timothy, the Bible says people who long to be rich, they fall into temptation. Why? You're going to all of a sudden start to blur what the goal line is. You're going you're to compromise. You're going to scheme to get it. They fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. If your pursuit is money, 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 you will pursue it and you'll go right off a cliff with it. I promise you. It is actually something that we'll talk about later in this series, but it's called the spirit of mammon. It's this, this resting spirit on money that has a compulsion to get more of it. In fact, I've actually met a lot of people that don't have a lot of money that have the same spirit. I've also met a lot of rich people who have the spirit. It's not about net worth. It's a heart condition, this need for money. In fact, I've seen people that don't really have a lot, and they're in, in compulsory mode. They need more of it. And so you don't want to fall into that ditch. The second ditch is this. This is the other side of error. And that is, well, I shouldn't really think about money. If God wants me to have it, if it be thy will, it'll just take care of itself. Buddy, I know too many good people, even godly people, that don't have everything that they need if they had just a little bit more money, they'd be able to adopt that kid. They'd be able to take care of that bill or that outstanding debt. So that, that's not true at all. We, we know it's not. In fact, this is on the other end. It's called the poverty spirit. We'll talk about that later in this series. It is remnants of religion. It is the Roman church that glorifies this, this disposition of poverty. You know what I've noticed about all those people that, that cast shade on anybody having money? They'll say things like, well, Jesus said you should sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He told that to one guy that was controlled by money, but forget that. You know what I've said? I've literally said this. Somebody has said, you should sell all that you have and give it to the poor. I said, you first. I'll do it. Just you go first. You really think about it. Everybody that you've ever heard that glorifies poverty had a lot of money in their bank. You don't have to search far, do much homework to find out that to be true. And at the same time, they want all of us to be poor. But I know that the gospel costs a lot of money to get out. So what do we do? We can't go into greed and we can't go into the spirit of poverty. We can't pursue those things. But God does want us to have a pursuit. I want to read for you out of Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. Proverbs 8 and verse 1. The Bible says this about wisdom. Does not wisdom call out? And it is. It is today, but it always is. Does not understanding raise her voice? I love what it says in verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit, everybody say the word fruit. fruit. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield, everybody say the word yield. yield. What I yield surpasses Choice silver. Y'all look at me for a second. I'm going to read a little bit more in this passage. But you don't go to the gym to sweat, do you? 
No, no, you, you go to the gym to get the reps in. They've got the equipment. You're trying to get healthy. Some of you guys are trying to get a little unreasonably healthy for your girl, you know, get a little bit of arms going on, you know. You don't go there to sweat, but when you're doing all that stuff, you might sweat a little bit. Are you trekking with me? The Bible says you are to pursue wisdom, but there's a byproduct. There's a fruitfulness that comes from pursuing God's wisdom. It yields something in your life. Verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness. Pause. Do you know what this means? This is wisdom saying that it is right for you to do this. That when you come about financial gain in a godly way, it is righteous. Along the paths of justice. This is talking about having equity in our business dealings with one another. Bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. When we go after wisdom, what happens? When you pursue all of that, it's going to give you wealth that blesses you and blesses other people and has no curse on either one. You don't need money if it's going to make you fall apart, become a different person, take advantage of other people. You don't need that. God wants to give you wisdom, and the byproduct of that is your sustenance will increase. Are you with me, everybody? And so this is what we need in our life. Write it down. We are not called. We are not called to chase money. We are to pursue God's wisdom. That's what we go after. We go after what God has to say about economics, about the way that the world works. Why? Because the world doesn't know the way that the world works, and the world doesn't know anything about economics. They pass laws, and I'm convinced when I see them do this, these people couldn't leave their way out of a wet paper bag. What are they doing? Have you ever had to buy milk before? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And so what do we need? We need God's wisdom in this world because then we can withdraw from this world's economy and operate in his. Say amen, somebody. God's wisdom is what I'm going to give you in this series. That's what I promise. Over the course of the next five weeks, all through October, I'm going to give you God's wisdom, and it's wisdom that you can take to the bank. It's wisdom you can build business on. It's wisdom that you can get ahead in life no matter where you started out. Now, let's jump in. Write this down. God does not give money directly to anybody. Now, that might shock you, but it's true. I've never received a check in the mail signed Jehovah Jireh. I've never seen it. Uh, if, you're, if you're out there and you're praying, oh, God, please let money appear inside my wallet, it's not going to happen. You ought to just stop praying. You're wasting your time because God does not counterfeit. He's not going to put money in your wallet unexpectedly. Just because you found a 20 at an amusement park doesn't mean it was the blessing of a prayer angel, okay? Listen, God doesn't do it that way. Sure, there have been people who have been blessed, inspired by God to bless People who are desperately poor, and sometimes that's a great thing, but you don't want to be that. You don't want to be in that spot in your life. When Kai and I started out, we were desperately poor. I can tell you this. I told you about the holes in my shoes, but we always like, we loved it when surprise money would come. This is what surprise money is. When it's your birthday and all of a sudden a birthday card comes and there's an extra $10 and you're like, God has answered my prayer, you know, <laughs> like, baby, I'm going to take you out, Golden Corral, it's all you can eat, like, you, I love you, you know, you're like, need that extra money, I loved it at church, when people would be like, hey, Joe, you want to go get a bite to eat, yes, because that means that they're going to treat you, you know what I mean, a little extra money, I loved it, you know, Kai and I, we were so broke when we got married, we couldn't afford to have a, a reception with a meal, we had hors d'oeuvres at our wedding, which, you know, we tried to play as elegant, really, it was just for lack of cash, but 
uh, people were so kind. They gave us envelopes, you know, and, and Kaya's little bridal purse. It's an old Italian tradition. And so before we went on our very modest honeymoon, very modest honeymoon, like we had to stay with my cousin, okay? Like not making that up modest. We had to go back and open up the cards from our reception. And I'm like, Kai, there's a $50 bill in here, bless God. Like, we can do it. We can do anything. I get a car, you know? Like, just. And that surprise money, thank God for it when you start out. But those who rely on surprise money really are living at the bottom. And what I have found is this you talk to those who have a lot of money, who make a lot of money, who give a lot of money, they know where their money is coming from and they know where their money is going to. It's not a mystery. It's not a. They're not like looking for an angel to pickpocket somebody to put cash. Like they know how it all works. What I want us to do is as followers of God, I want us to take advantage of every good promise he has, but I'm going to give you the practicality to show you how it works. Today's promise is in Deuteronomy. It's in chapter eight. I'm going to read it for us. Deuteronomy 818. Remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you power. Say the word power. The power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, his promise, his sacred honor. He promised you something, Christian, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God has a promise, but write it down. The Bible does not show us that God is going to give us wealth. He gives us the power to get wealth. There's a blessing, a promise on your life, on your Christian walk, and it's the power to get wealth. It's not money raining from heaven. Like, I hope you are blessed. I hope you do take ground. If you get so blessed that you have a gold sink and a gold toilet, invite Pastor Joe over. I have to see it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I am saying that God's going to meet your needs, and he's going to do it in an abundant way, but it's not going to just be cash from heaven. How does it come? How do we see the power to get wealth active in our lives as Christians? So glad you asked. The chair that you're sitting on right now was here at the moment of creation. When Adam and Eve were walking this earth, this chair was here, but it wasn't in the current form that you're sitting in today. The metal that's in there was iron ore that had to be mined out of the earth and processed, and the draft had to be taken out and had to be refined over and over again. Eventually, steel showed up on the scene, and and it was able to be made into the metal legs on your chair. Any synthetics or plastics that are inside your chair, they were in the heart of the earth as petrochemicals. They had to be taken out of the earth. Before they were petrochemicals, they were dinosaurs and animals that all existed before the flood. They were here on earth. The wood, in fact, the base of your chair has a wood plat, platform that, that everything kind of sits on. That was here since the foundation of the world, but probably existed in many different forms. Might have been several different trees along the way. Might have been eaten as food, plopped out the hind end, built up another tree. You know, many different ways. Could have gone through birds and animals. Eventually, it built the tree that was harvested, that was, that was converted into the chair that you sit on right now. Every, everything about that chair was here. Law of conservation of mass. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. It was here at creation, but it had to be converted. The lights that are in this room, any glass that are in these lights, it was here, but it was sand on the seashore. It had to be melted down, turned into glass. The, the filament inside the light bulbs, they, they, they had to be mined out of the earth. The zinc had to be uh, apportioned over to make the filament to make the light. 
the electricity that's running all of this stuff, the PA system and the screens, all of that existed on earth at the time of Adam and Eve. Now, it might not have been in the form of electricity, but it had to be converted. So, for instance, it might have been in a fold of the earth, and, and there was some coal there, and they had to mine out that coal and, and burn the coal to make wonderful coal energy. And, and they were able to heat up water with that burnt coal, and it spinned a turbine, which was on a generator, which generated power. Or maybe this power is from my area, my neck of the woods, the Great White North. Maybe this is from Croton, which is the best power to have. And they've got a big old dam up there, and they dammed up that, that little stream, and it's a huge pond now. But they run that water over, and it turns turbines on a generator and generates power. But it has to be converted. What are you saying, Pastor Joe? Money does not show up as money. When God blesses you with money, he's going to bless you with money in raw form. It has to be converted. What does that look like? Write it down. We have to then understand the things that can be converted and the things that cannot in order to receive money. And I have good news for you. For the remaining time that we have in this service, I'm going to give you all four, the four primary resources that we as Christians can convert into money, into blessing. These four things are how the power to get wealth works. And so if it's ever been a mystery or in the black box, I want to take it out into the open so we can all understand it. I am from the great white north, so I've got to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Anybody else with me? Okay, here we go. Number one, write it down. We can convert labor into money. The Bible says in Proverbs that in all labor there is honor. That's King James Version. Uh, Maybe in New King James, in all uh, labor there is profit. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. You can convert labor. So there are people that need to get things done, and the whole world works on exchange. So you can exchange your time, your effort, your labor for money. You say, well, I want more money. Well, you can work harder. You can work harder at your job, and you can make more money. I need more money, Pastor. In fact, I knew one guy who's praying, God, I need, to, I need some extra money to pay this unexpected bill. He was praying for God. All of a sudden, his boss came up and said, hey, I've got some overtime. He said, oh, no, 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 I've got different clubs I'm a part of. I've got to have time with my family. And he missed the fact that God was blessing him with money, but it was coming in raw form. It's just, just a little bit of overtime for a short season. You could have nipped that thing in the bud. And so we can't look over the fact that That labor, hard work, is actually something we can convert into money. Money works on the principle of exchange. You have to trade something you have, and this is how the whole world works. I think about a friend of mine. In fact, I'm going to use him as an example throughout today, but we'll call him Mr. Excavator. Uh, He's a ditch digger. And as a young guy, he learned how to use all the different tools to be able to dig out the foundation hole for a house, how to be able to put in literal ditches. He could do it so clean. He learned how to do it and learned how to do it really well. And Mr. Excavator never looked over his post. I'm sure that there were days that were hard, but he looked at his job as an opportunity. And by the way, let me just say this, never judge away a man makes a living. The Bible says in all labor there is honor. So whether you're a ditch digger or you're a blue-collar man or, or maybe you're, uh, you're cleaning for a living or working on cars, in all labor there is honor. One thing I have seen, though, is typically in these type of circles, people aren't looking down on others, but sometimes people look down at themselves. 
They look down at the job that they have because maybe it is cleaning or maybe it is wearing that said blue collar. Don't do that. If you discount the post that God has you at in that moment, if you do that, you will never get ahead. You have to work as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 says you work as unto the Lord. Don't, don't hate your post. Even if God has more in your heart for more and greater things, you can't hate where you're at right there or you'll shortchange the process. You have to lean into all of that. So Mr. Excavator, he started to work hard. He worked long. And because of that, he was able to have work that solicited more money. So you ask, well, Pastor Joe, how do we convert labor into money? I'm so glad y'all asked. You set me up great in these messages. Write it down. You need to increase the quality of your work. That is, you need to get better at the quality or quantity of labor you produce. Can you do some more? Some of y'all need to work to become supervisor. And you're working so hard, but you're only working your 40 hours, and then you're just done. You need to put a little bit extra into it for a short season. You could become a supervisor, and there would be more pay, be more gratifying what you're doing. Perhaps you need to take a class or get training. Maybe you need a degree or some sort of pigskin that your boss wants you to hang on the wall that says that you can do good things. I can do good things. The pigskin tells me I can do it. Whatever you need to do, here's the idea. Make yourself more valuable. What you're trying to convey to your employer is, I can add more value. There is meat on the bone here. My labor could be worth more because of what I bring to the table. Do you hear what I'm saying, everybody? That's how you convert labor into money. Well, you say, well, Pastor Joe, I bet Mr. Excavator didn't make as much as a doctor does. No, I suppose he doesn't make as much as a doctor, but also Mr. Excavator didn't stop there. He moved on to number two. The second thing that you can convert into money, write it down, is wisdom. You can convert labor to money, and you can convert wisdom into money. Now, the difference in between our friend Mr. Excavator, the ditch digger, and a doctor, let's say a brain surgeon, is when a ditch digger nicks a line, it could be bad. You could have the power go out. You could have a washout, but when a brain surgeon nicks a line, you could go blind. You could, be, you could be incapacitated. You could be killed. And so what I have found, and this is just universal law, in, in all the countries I've been in, all the, the backgrounds I've seen, that is that people will pay more for smart labor over general labor. Again, in all labor, there's honor. But if somebody can do it, and there's, there's some strategy here, they really can add some value, people will pay more for that. Now, Mr. Doctor, he gets paid more because, in essence, what he's selling to you is what he knows. He's selling his wisdom. These guys go to, to school, and they study the human body and how it works. They're able to look at symptoms that you have and diagnose different dis-ease that you might have in your body. They can write you a script for it. Some of them are specialists. Thank God for specialists that know about one particular area. And so I'm willing to pay more for the smart labor because as much as I love you, I'm not going to ask you what you think about some of my health problems. You know what I'm saying, everybody? I'm willing to pay a little bit because I want to actually know what's going on. And so with that, what I've also seen is this. Everyday, ordinary people like you and I sometimes are confronted. Maybe it's somebody you graduated high school with, and they're making a lot of money in business, or they became a doctor, and they're doing really well, and you're confronted with that, and you take it as an indictment on you. Listen to me. Don't do that. When you look at somebody else, and you're upset that they're blessed, 
You'll, you'll start stewing about it. You'll say, well, they must have gotten that money by some sort of like, like, like immoral means. They got, of course, if you had that money, you wouldn't feel that way at all. I'd be like, I worked for every bit of that. you know. But, but, or you'll look at them and you'll just be jealous of the spot that they're in. Don't do that. Let me tell you why. What you are in essence doing is you're saying that God is not big enough to bless you and them at the same time. And I fundamentally reject that premise. I believe in a God of miracles that can take people from obscure backgrounds, set your feet on a rock, and bless you and meet your needs according to Christ's glory. Amen, somebody? I believe that. I really do. And so don't, take, uh, don't, don't, don't be confronted by their success and think about you. You rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Amen? There's still room for everyday ordinary people like you and I to get ahead. So God will honor your labor with wisdom. What does that look like? Write this down. You need to understand that labor plus wisdom equals diligence. And the Bible says in Proverbs 12 that the hand of the diligent will bear rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. You're going to have to make the decision to add some wisdom in on your dealings. What are you saying, Pastor Joe? You're going to be working the job. You're working hard, okay? And as you're doing it, the thought's going to come into your mind, there's got to be a better way to do this. I'm killing myself on this. There's, it's got to be more efficient. And if you don't, if you just zone out, if you hate the place that you work, in fact, I've heard somebody say this, and this is so foolish. The, the boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. Then he talks about what he's going to do on company mine. You will be poor until you get that paradigm out of your head. Until you repent of that thought, you will be, you'll be resigned to poverty because you're now looking at your boss as your source and he's a bad God. As great as he might be or awful, he makes a bad God. God is your source. So what do you need to do? While you're on the job, you need to be diligent about what you're doing. Think about it. Think about it. Don't just go into your nothing box and, and it's almost like people who have worked at a factory, you know what I'm talking about. It's like pole lever B, hit button A. And you just start going through the motions. No, think about it. Think about how you can be efficient. If you're a truck driver, think about how you can be efficient with, with fuel economy. Think, think about if you're cleaning things, how can I get this done? Maybe you're, maybe you're packing lunches for kids. There's a quicker way that you can do that can free up extra time for you to do other things. You're applying wisdom to your labor, and now you're a diligent person. There's got to be a better way. When that thought comes into your head, by the way, it's not just you having a good idea. It's actually God ministering to you. It's the beginning of your breakthrough. If you discount it, you'll get what you get. If you lean into this and say, I'm going to, be, I'm going to apply some wisdom to my labor, I'm going to be diligent, God will honor it. And, and there's more I want to say about diligence, but next week we're going to be preaching a message called the law of the hand. It will be the game changer for many people next week. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to show you things about diligence that can unlock some of the things that you're believing God for and really take you to another level. But as far as this, it, it is the foolish man that never makes adjustments in his work. It is the diligent person who hustles and is looking to save time and money, become more efficient, skilled in their labor. They're looking at other people, trying to learn more tasks. And my friend, Mr. Excavator, he did that. He was working at this company, and he became the guy who had the solutions to everybody else's problem. Hey, how do we, how do we dig a hole when there's all this clay going on and some of it's a little bit wet over here? How do you do that? He became the guy that knew it because he had his eyes open when he was digging those holes. 
He became the guy that was able to help other people. He went from digging the ditches, and of course he did that the whole time that he was there, but he also took a whole bunch of calls to the other contractors that were out in the field with questions that they had. He became somebody who was indispensable to his employer. That sounds pretty godly to me, doesn't it to you? He became a person that was upping the quantity and quality of his work, and he became the ideal hire for any project, and it made him more money, enough money that he was able to take another step. Number three, we can convert products and business services into money. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, the Lord abhors, he hates dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delights. Unless you think, oh, Pastor Joe, I love it when you're talking about spiritual things. This is very spiritual because the church of Jesus Christ doesn't know about it, and your Jesus says that the world's doing better at business than you. What is he talking about with these scales? It's weighing a commodity. He's saying when it's dishonest, when somebody's charging way more than something's worth, he hates that, and God does. He hates that. But he says when there's honest, accurate scales, when we're weighing this out and there's equity in the trade, that is the delight of your God. That is telling me that God endorses the sale of product and the giving of business services in order for you to increase financially. God God is behind all of that. He endorses that. Now, at the same time, God is against people who have these dishonest weights. What does that look like? It's kind of like the, the used car salesman, and he pours liquid glass in the motor of his cars to make the engine sound good, even though he knows not only is that wrong, but it's going to damage the motor ultimately. God hates that. And if you do that, listen to me, you might get by with it for a little bit, but you will not prosper because of it. God's blessing is an honor. If you're a Christian and you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in that way, you understand what I mean? You're, you're taking shortcuts. You're not doing an equitable trade. You've heard it now. Now you're accountable to it. God will not bless it. You ought to repent of that and treat people fairly. And God can that gives something God actually could bless in your life because he wants to. It's his delight to do so. Y'all with me, everybody? God loves a fair trade. Now, some people say, well, Pastor Joe, you know, is that really something that, that we should engage in, this, this commerce type of thing? Listen to the motive. The motive in you creating a product to, to be able to trade, to convert into money, The motive in all of it is creating something to bless somebody else. There's people who have businesses that create products that that really help people out. There are people that have Etsy shops that that are creating something they're interested in, and they're creating it, and they're able to sell it, and it's a blessing to them because they're doing what they love, and they're also able to bless somebody else. Man, have you ever been on Etsy? got the coolest things on Etsy. If you want to go on there and find a luck dragon from the never-ending story that you could pet on your lap, they got it on Etsy. I've checked, okay? Like, they've got everything on Etsy. All the weird, nerdy stuff, all the bougie, bougie, girly stuff for weddings, right? And what are they doing? They're creating something, and they're trading you cash for something you want. And God says that's good. That's a good thing. It is a symbiotic relationship. It's how the world works. I found out recently that not all flowers are the same. I told you I'm from the North Country, and my education was sparse. But uh, I found out that there, there is male and female flowers. Now think about it. This male flower has to stare at that female flower. And I'm sure if he's any kind of blue-blooded American flower, he's looking at her and be like, she's nice. 
She's cute. I like her petals, you know. <laughs> Do you want to start a family? Would you like to talk a little bit more? But that guy, he's stuck. He's planted in the ground. He's looking long. He let her like, I want to pl- start a family, but he can't. Enter in Mr. Bumblebee. Mr. Bumblebee says, hey, we have a service for that. I'd love to help you start your family. I'm going to take a little bit of pollen from you, but I'll take some of your pollen. I'll bring it right over here. Your kids are going to look just like you. It's going to be beautiful. You know? And so, so all of a sudden, you've got flowers sprouting up out of the ground, and Mr. Flower's so happy. He's, he's doting children there. Am I pushing it? Okay. And then, and then you've got Mr. Bumblebee, and he takes that pollen back, and he creates honey for the whole hive to be able to live. It's a symbiotic relationship. The trees that we're known for in Michigan, they breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. It's a symbiotic relationship. They have what we need. We have what they need. We are all in this partnership breathing out what the other person needs. Even cow poop has a purpose. Plop, and it fertilizes the grass. The grass is like, yes. Yes, we needed this. This is just the last thing to tip us over. Here we go. And it grows up. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Cow says, you guys did great. And he starts eating out of that. Now, that's kind of gross. But it's a, y'all with me, everybody? That's a symbiotic relationship. They have something I want. I have something they want. That's called economy. And your school is not teaching it. Your school is teaching that we are to uh, assert ourselves over people and claim stuff of value that they have because we deserve it. Look at me. You deserve hell. Start with that one. Build off from God's grace. Be like, he forgave me my sin. Hallelujah. Don't deal with God on the currency of what you deserve. You want to deal with God on the currency of what Jesus paid for and the blood paid, paid promises of the cross. That's the basis. Not what you deserve. About. So it's somebody else made. Somebody else put their neck out. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? This is where we elect people, and they, they wake up in the morning, they think about giving money away. They're the only people that do it. They're giving, of course, your money away, and they're, doing it, they're giving it to people to buy their vote. Whoops. I don't know if that's going to end up in the podcast, but that's the truth. Listen to me. You listen to me. Nobody is waking up in the morning thinking about how to get you money. If they are, it's because you have something that they want and they're willing to trade some of that money that they got for that thing that you have. It doesn't work any other way. Nobody owes you anything. It is by the gifts and talents and grace of God that you're able to do what you do. And so what do we have to do? We have to be people that realize that. Well, Pastor Joe, is it really, is it really a fair thought that, that we would exchange this and become reasonably wealthy? Look at me. I want you to remember this moment. I am praying that some people in this church become unreasonably wealthy. (laughs) Praise God. I need you to get rich and write fat checks to the church in Jesus' name. Thousand is spelled T-H-O-U. Not for my gain. Listen to me. Because the gospel is a free gift that costs a lot of money to get out into this world. And I need you to be blessed. And so, Mr. Excavator, he worked hard at his business. It was his. He had a place he could hang his hat. He had all the toys. They're digging all the holes. It's like Tonka trucks, but for real, you know. And, and here's what he does. This is unexpected. He sells his company, and he buys a laundromat. You didn't see that coming, did you? 
He buys a laundromat. He stays on with this guy who bought the company, but he's only going to work part-time and answer questions, and he starts focusing on this laundromat, and it begins to do well. It was suffering. Now it's going through the roof. It cash flows so much, he leverages not only what he sold, his toys, to be able to buy the laundromat. He leverages the cash flow. The bank's keen to it. This is a great business deal. And he now has two laundromats and is working even less as an excavator. That's what he's doing today. And in short order, he's going to have to quit being an excavator altogether because either they will cash flow so much from these laundromats, it will, it will force his attention. Or number two, I think this is coming quicker than even he thinks, he's going to have to buy another laundromat. God will bless him abundantly because he understands this principle. Take it to the bank. That's exactly what will happen. Most churches would make Mr. Excavator feel bad about being blessed. They would misquote and misuse the words of Jesus Christ. And they would say, oh, Mr. Excavator, don't you know that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven? They would make him feel guilty and bad about that. I love New Chapel because we're a church that will never make you feel bad about being smart, hustling, working hard, coming up with ideas, and making things that bless people. Amen, somebody? I hate it when people cast shade on those people that stick their neck out there and start a business and gripe about how much money they make. Well, it must be nice. Listen, let me just tell you, it is. You should go do it too. Because the best of them will encourage you right on that same path. How do you convert product to money? Glad you asked. Write this down. You need to be thinking about a different question than how do I get money. It's how do I generate more product? How do I give more labor? And that would look like you hiring people. It looked like you bringing on more professionals. Can I make something people need? How can I be a blessing to other people? Again, you're not pursuing the cash. You're saying, how do I bless other people? Because when you do it, they will pay handsomely for it. Are you with me, everybody? So we, we convert labor into money. We convert wisdom into money. We convert product and business into money. And then number four, write it down. You can turn money into money. You can convert capital into money. What is capital? Capital is money that you don't immediately need. It's in savings. And what you can do is you can leverage that and make an investment and receive interest back on your investment. Okay? Jesus endorses this. Let me read it for you. It's in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25. Jesus says, you ought to have deposited my money with bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So your Jesus is looking for dividends. He's looking for interest payments. He's looking for, he's looking for a return, ROI, return on investment. How does that happen? You can take some extra money Invest it with somebody. Here's what an investment is if you're not keen to it. It's you taking some money and you're giving it to, just we'll simplify it, a businessman. With that money, he's going to buy the equipment that he needs to do more work, and he's willing to pay you a set amount of interest or dividends because you invested with him. He's so grateful. He needed that money. He didn't have it. You invested, and he's able to give you some interest back on that money. Jesus says it's godly. It's a good thing. Somebody says, well, Pastor Joe, isn't that usury? 
if you're old enough to even know what that word means, let me explain this to you. Usury is an exorbitant interest that's charged or given. It's unfair. It's unbalanced. It's the U.S. tax code, okay? This is not, <laughs> how to say it, this is not usury, and I'm not describing that at all. This is fair and equitable. It is a godly thing. If you lend somebody some money to get some interest back in return. Okay. There's a lot of Bible stories I could give you. And the one that really bubbles up in my heart as I was studying this out was the story of Abraham. He's the forefather of our faith. The Bible says that Abraham, in the book of Genesis chapter 13, he said that Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now, you'd have to read all of the book of Genesis to really have a handle on this, but let me make this very simple. Abraham lived in the boonies, everybody. He lived in Timbuk 3, which is about five miles past Timbuk 2, okay? And I come from a small town. I will tell you that there's not a lot of money in a small town. There's not a lot of money. There's even less in the boonies. And Abraham is in the middle of a desert. I want you to remember that. He's in this desert, but If you read Genesis, you'll find that he is on a major trade route for the rest of the greater Middle East as they come into Egypt. You'll read in the book of Genesis that Isaac and Abraham dug many wells. You'll also read about a time where God comes down. He takes on the image of a human. He brings two angels with him. They appear as though they are human, and they go toward Abraham's place And by the way, this is the pre-incarnate Christ visiting Abraham. They show up, and Abraham is seeing them way before they get to the place. He runs out to them. There's customer service. And he offers to kill one of his livestock, the fatted calf. And so here's what he's doing. He's like, hey, guys, y'all had mission barbecue? It's better than regular barbecue. Here we go. Boys, kill one of those. And they're making up a barbecue. They've got all these wells. Why do they got the wells? They're giving the guys water, all their uh, animals water in the caravan. He's treating them well. Abram was the founder of 7-Eleven. He's feeling you up. He's getting you a good little slurpee to go. Like, he's taking care of you. The customer service is at a high. This is not the first time that he did this. This is how he, he gained this wealth. And so what would happen? These caravans are coming through, and they, they say, well, how can we pay you? He says, well, you got a couple of goats over here, a couple, a couple of cattle. I, we could trade for that. Or maybe one guy comes through, and he doesn't have any cattle. All I have is silver and gold. Well, we accept that here at Abraham's. We would love to have any silver and gold. I'll make change. Boys, get the change. You know, Like, Abraham was a businessman. He, he went through all four of these conversion pro, uh, processes. And, and the Bible says that he was very rich in silver, gold, and in cattle. That was the father of our faith. It is part of a great heritage that you're a part of. And it all happened in the deserts. God can make a way for you in desert seasons of your life. You think, how, how's God going to bless me? I came from the background I did. I, I, I don't have anything to speak of. God can bless you where you're at. He loves taking people from obscure situations and lifting them up high. Who knows? You might open a franchise of Abraham's. I don't know. Now, why are you saying all this, Pastor Joe? i got to bring it all the way around to this. Mr. Excavator, this is not someone I know from my past. This isn't someone I know outside of the church. He is sitting in your ranks today. He's a part of your church. I'm not calling him out. He's a very mild-mannered person. It would embarrass him. 
But I want you to see this is not something that's so distant. This is something that's right around you, that you can do this, that God has blessed you with the power to get wealth. And it happens when you convert your labor, your wisdom, products, and capital. And when you do that, God will favor that process, and you will see God's abundance in your life. Do you believe it, New Chapel? Are you with me, everybody? That's what we want. Heavenly Father, I pray for my church today. God, I pray for people who are working a job and they don't see a future. Lord, I pray that you show them that their working is unto the Lord, that God will never put a person as the bottleneck, as the glass ceiling over their life, that if they trust you, they can see your goodness. God, I pray for people that they are working hard, they're hustling, but God, they don't seem like they're getting ahead. There's a hole in the boat. God, I pray that you minister to them exactly what they're supposed to do. For some people, they need to open up their eyes while they're working. Stop discounting their posts. Stop having a poverty mentality. And they need to say, God, have your way. And they need to add that wisdom and diligence to their work. God, some people in the sound of my voice are called by you to start a business. And it might start small. It might start as an Etsy shop. But God, I pray that they'd be bold enough just to take a step toward your best. And Lord, I know that even in a practical message like this, you're ministering to people your love, that you are a God who's thorough, that you care even about our practical needs. If there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, God, help me to find them in Jesus' mighty name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute, gang. If you came in here and you'd say, hey, pastor, you're all over my feet. My life's not right with God. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord means boss. It means you're done being the God of your own life. You're ready to say, God, I'll do it your way. The Bible says when you make him Lord, you'll be saved. You'll be changed from the inside out. Yeah, there's heaven when you die. You'll avoid a Christless hell. But listen to me, friend. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you accept Christ. The peace and resolve, the abundant life you're looking for, it's on the other end of you giving up control and acknowledging your Lord. Now, when you do that, he will make all things new. I sense in my heart that there's people that want to make that decision. I want to help you. And so we're going to say a prayer in just a second. Church, I want you to pray this with us. And as we say it, if you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. If you say it like it's religious poetry, you'll walk out the same way you came in. But I believe God wants to change hearts in this room today. Pray this out loud with me. Church, pray it with us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I could be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Wow.
Let me pray first real quick. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. We'll see you next weekend. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.